waiting. It's really a hard thing to do. The waiting comes in all kinds of formats and pictures. And um, this morning as we were in the prayer room, I got a text from Marcus Carlson and um, the family has decided to take the oxygen off of his sister Susie and the family has gathered. They don't think she'll make it through the day. For those of you who don't know Marcus, his sister Susie has been in a long struggle with cancer and so we pray for her husband George and the kids. Pray for Jerry, Marcus's father. But when you think about waiting, Susie's wait is almost done. Because if you think about it, when she wakes up, she'll be in glory. So let's pause together and pray for Susie's family. (laughs) Father, we lift up all of Susie's family. Father, we first, we thank you so much for the way you have used Susie over the years just to proclaim your good news and to live out a life that brought glory and honor to you, even in the midst of a hard, hard physical struggle. We pray for George and the kids, Father, as they, I'm sure, are wrestling with lots of questions of been waiting for you to work and have been wondering why and why not their mother, why not their wife, and yet Susie is going home. And Father, we pray too for uh, Marcus and the rest. Father, you tell us in in your word that blessed are they that mourn for they shall see God. And so today I pray specifically for the family that they would see you in a new way today. They would get a new glimpse of your glory, of your hope, of your love and your grace and your mercy. And I pray that your name would be glorified continually through this whole time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Waiting is definitely a hard thing to do at times, so take a moment and think about a time when you've had to wait for someone uh, or something. I mean, I I reflect on uh, when I was a child, and it's Christmas time, and so we'd gather together. It would be my mom's side of the family. It would be all the cousins and the aunts and uncles, and we'd be together. We'd chow on some food, and then it's open those gifts, right? As a kid, that's all you want to do is open those gifts, and, well, we've got to wait until the dishes are done. I think you got to wait until, you know, we get it all cleaned up. And it seemed like, in my opinion, and, and I'm not, you know, that was a long time ago, it seemed like it took the parents for 
ever to do the dishes. I mean, didn't they see that there was a bunch of presents under the tree, and yet we waited. Just a week ago or so, I was uh, at the grocery store in Wilmer, and I uh, was visiting my mom, and I had to run and get some things at the store, and so I was kind of in a hurry, and I didn't grab a cart or a basket, because I just had a couple of things, and went and grabbed stuff, and of course, then I think of a couple other things, so pretty soon my arms are kind of full, and I go up to the self-checkout, and uh, there are a couple of ladies by this one checkout, and they are taking their sweet old time checking out, you know, grab the thing out of their basket or their cart and look at it and scan it and then check the price and put it in, you know, it's just, I'm going, please, can we speed it up? And then, and then when they get done, they get the receipt and they, right there, right in front of that checkout, they're looking at the receipt and they're going through all the things in their bag to make sure that they didn't get overcharged on anything, Needless to say, patience wasn't high on my list at that moment. In fact, I said, finally I said, excuse me, are you done? It might not have been in the best tone. (laughs) But waiting, I mean, some of us have been, uh, can relate to that stuff, but some of us have been waiting for other things that are way much more important than getting through the grocery line. We've been waiting for a better marriage or we've been waiting for some kind of financial relief. When, oh Lord, are you going to help? Or maybe we've been praying for healing, for God to intervene in some way and so we are waiting. Or maybe it's praying for a family member or a friend who doesn't know Jesus. You've got a child who's maybe gone astray and you are waiting, waiting for God to do something. And as we are in the midst of this Advent season, last week we began talking about what is Advent and we talked about that it's, it's something that's Part of church tradition, a time where the word Advent meaning, it's a Latin word meaning coming. It's a time where we remember and celebrate the coming of the Messiah and the waiting that the people had waited for years and years and centuries before the Messiah came. I loved the picture that Matthew showed on the screen last week when he talked about how the waiting and this advent and this noticing of the coming was even when Eve was in the garden and part of the curse was that the the offspring of Eve would crush the head of the serpent and the picture of Eve and the Virgin Mary together and realizing that there was this tie together. And Matthew talked last week about anticipating the coming of the Messiah, that on this side of the cross we anticipate His coming, but that we also can participate in His coming, meaning that we can be involved in the kingdom of God now, and because of that we have hope. Matthew did this amazing magic trick up here to demonstrate that we are light of the world and like he put the tennis ball on top of the cup, we are to let the light shine, not the tennis ball in the 
cup where we can't see it. And just to be fair and honest, I've been trying all week to figure out how he did that trick. Only wasted maybe eight or ten hours. Matthew won't tell me. This week we're talking about being touched by the hope of Advent. And in our video, a part of the story of God, the story of Jacob and Esau is told, and you will find that story in Genesis 25 through 32, and I recommend you to go back and read it because it's an amazing story. And for us, just a reminder that here we have these twins that are born, Jacob and Esau, and Esau is born first, so Esau has the birthright, and part of having the birthright is he gets double the inheritance, and Jacob, out of deception, takes the birthright from his older brother. It's interesting because you have Esau who is a skilled hunter and is a man of the field, and you have Jacob who's destroyed described as this quiet man who likes to dwell amongst the tents or he likes to be at home. And then you have Isaac, the father, who um, loved Esau more than he loved Jacob because Esau would bring home the wild game and he loved to eat wild game. And Rebekah loved Jacob more because Jacob was around the tents. No chance for any kind of family feud or family division there, right? And we see in this story that because of deception and division, there was a problem. And one day Jacob is making stew, and Esau comes in from the field, and he's exhausted and hungry. And he comes up to Jacob and says, give me some of your stew. And Jacob, deceivingly, says, sell me your birthright. In other words, I'll trade you. I'll give you this cup of stew to satisfy your immediate appetite for your birthright. Esau's going like, what's a birthright? Who cares? I'm hungry. Do you see the irony there? How, how often we choose to satisfy our immediate appetite at the expense of our birthright. Jacob makes Esau swear, and so Esau swore to him, and he sold his birthright. And then Jacob is this man who gets what he wants by deception, and he goes off and leaves, and there's a long story, you know, that uh, he goes and is deceived by his eventually his father-in-law, and there's other deception that's happened again. I can't, you, we can't go through the whole story now, but even before... He left, he had to get the blessing from his father. And so Jacob, again, deceives his own father. He puts on goat hair on his hands and on the back of his neck. So when his father touched him, he would think it's Esau. And he brought in some stew that was made and made it taste like wild stew. And 
He gets his blessing from his father, and off he goes. And many years later, when Jacob now has a couple of wives and lots of kids and many livestock, he decides, I want to go home. He knew that coming home would be a risk. And on his way back home, he sends his family ahead And he's laying there, and a man comes up to him, and this man begins to wrestle with Jacob. How weird is that, you know? Somebody appears, and you just start wrestling, and they wrestled all night long. Again, how weird is that? And then at daybreak, when this man saw that Jacob wasn't going to let go, this man touches Jacob in the hip socket, Causes it to separate, come out of joints. And the man says, let me go. And Jacob says, not until you bless me. And at that moment, Jacob's name was changed to Israel because he wrestled with God. And Jacob called that place Peniel, because it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. That was a transformational moment in the life of Jacob. He wrestled with God, saw God. His life was marked by God because for the rest of his life he would limp because of his hip. When Jacob stood face to face with God, he chose to engage God in what God wanted to do in his life. Too often, many of us have an opportunity where God is confronting us and we choose to walk away and not engage in what God may want to do in our life. You see, the Bible is really a series of stories of people living their life and God engaging them, coming into their life face-to-face, whatever that looks like, and people either being transformed because of that contact or choosing to turn and walk away. We're going to look at another story this morning because about... Somebody being transformed because they had an encounter with God. But we're going to do it in a little different way this morning. You guys are going to have to step out of your comfort zone a moment. We're going to have a group discussion right now. I want you to get together with two or three to four other people right near where you're at. But make sure you're around somebody It's not just you and your family, okay? So mix it up a little bit. And I want you to read Luke 19, 1 through 10, the story of Zacchaeus. How did Jesus touch Zacchaeus? And how has Zacchaeus changed? Okay, so some of you are going to need to move a little bit. Three to four people. Have that conversation. Make sure there's somebody other than your family there. And we got a little clock down there at the bottom. You have a little over six minutes to do this. And then we'll come back. Ready to go. All right, so just stay where you're seated and turn this way. So now what I'd like to do is I'd like to get a re- couple, some responses from some of the groups. So our, our wonderful magician, Matthew, is going to pull out a mic.
I'm using that a lot, Matthew. <laughs> no. And if you have some comment about what you guys talked about in your group, about how, is, how did Jesus touch Zacchaeus, or how was Zacchaeus changed, raise your hand. Matthew will come to you. A couple of things. You have literally 30 seconds to say what you're going to say. Matthew will hang on to the microphone. Okay? You know this policy that we have around here. That way, I just want to hear a quick snippet of what you are, so we can get a number of groups saying. So anybody want to share real quickly? There's one right here. No, he's, no, you can't. He was touched by his words. There you go. He was touched by his words. Anybody else? Yes, back there. By like the intentionality of Jesus, he met him, Zacchaeus where he was at. Nice. Absolutely. Good. Who else? Oh, all the way over here. Jesus called out Zacchaeus by name. Ooh, yes, by name. Absolutely. Anybody else? Come on, one or two. One or two more. Got back there? Yes. I was just thinking how it's just such a shocking change from Zacchaeus to being this tax collector to all of a sudden giving away so much. And it's almost like he was waiting for an opportunity or chance to just change or have someone bring about that change in his life. Awesome. Absolutely. One more. Right, way up here. One more. Right up here. Claire. Zacchaeus became other-directed rather than self Yes. Um, awesome. All right. Transformation. Powerful. When Jesus touches our life. So for me, touch by God equals transformation. From these two stories and many more in the Bible... We see this picture. Now, we know that people can be touched by God, and, and in an essence, we, we also know that people can say no to the transformational work of God and what He wants to do. All we have to do is we think about like the rich young ruler who came up to Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said the law, and the rich young ruler said, I've done all that. And Jesus said, one more thing, you have to give all your wealth away and give it to the poor and follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away. The Pharisees encountered Jesus on a regular basis. But they chose to walk away from Jesus. They didn't allow the words of Jesus to penetrate their heart. Deception was at work. Deception by the evil one. And during the announcements you heard about the sermon series coming up in January, I'm really excited talking about the 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 great deception that is going on in our world today that has been going on for centuries. So what does transformation look like? When we talk about Jacob and we talk about Zacchaeus and we can see some pictures of that transformation, uh, I want to take a look at a passage in 2 Corinthians real quickly that gives us a picture of what transformation looks like. 
It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and starting with verse 14. Paul says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all, all died. Simply, we are compelled by Christ's love. Christ's love is what drives us each and every day. God's love, Christ's love for us, compels us to step into this transformational process that God has for our life. In essence, this wrestling, this changing, we are motivated by Christ's love. That's the only thing that motivates us. And it motivates us to allow Christ's love to not only be in us and change us, but to change our environment around us, whether it's at work or home or school or with my friends. We are compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say, And He died for all, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Quite simply, we're no longer selfish. Those who are been touched by the hand of Christ, you will see an unselfishness selfishness in their life, an otherworldly other, otherness. They're, they're always thinking of other people and how they can bless others. It's, it's part of that. It's, it's loving God and loving others. It's making disciples. It's caring for the poor and the orphan and the widow. There is that drive in their life for helping others. Paul continues to say, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer you see, there there's, comes this viewpoint where, we, again, we, we talk about this, that our enemy is not other people. Other people, even if we disagree with them, even if they turn their back on Christ, they are still an image bearer. They were created in, in the image of God. They have chosen to walk away from God, but they still are image bearers. So we don't view them in the worldly way as that's my enemy. That person is my enemy. We don't view them that way. We realize that our real enemy is Satan. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. A person touched by God is a new creation. The person touched by God begins to live their life as a new creation. It was brought up about the transformation that happened in Zacchaeus. One moment, selfish, greedy. The next moment, generous. He began to live as a new creation. Paul goes on, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. A person touched by the transforming work of God knows that they have been reconciled by God and that it doesn't end there, that now they are responsible with the message of reconciliation to the world around them. God has reconciled me to himself through Jesus. Now, I'm about communicating that message to the world around me. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled 
to God. A person who is touched by the transforming work of God knows that they are an ambassador for Christ as an ambassador. An ambassador is one who doesn't live in their own country. They have gone to another country to bring the good news of their country. We realize that this, what we are experiencing in this world now, this is not our home. We are ambassadors here. Our home is when Christ comes again, and there's a new heaven and a new earth, then we'll be home. Right now, we're about the work of an, of an ambassador. So for me, this is the long run-on sentence. I normally say no to run-on sentence, but I had to this time. Here it is. A person who has been touched by the transformation, transforming work of Jesus Christ is a new creation who has been reconciled to God through Christ and sees themselves as an ambassador for Christ who proclaims the message of reconciliation to their sphere of influence. Whew. That's it. Advent, this Advent, as you celebrate the birth of Jesus, as you celebrate Christ coming into our world as a baby, remember that he came to reconcile you and me to God and that Jesus gave his life so we could experience life in his kingdom, an abundant life. This transformative work happens as I choose to daily engage in who Jesus is and his truth. I must intentionally engage in him just like Jacob wrestled with God, just like Zacchaeus had Jesus into his house. How do I invite Jesus into my life and engage with him moment by moment, day by day. And trust me, as you do that, your life will be transformed. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you chose to send your son to touch us and to transform us, that we are a new creation. We give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, I want you to write in your group right there. I want you to do a little more discussion right in the group that you're in. Share an example of how Jesus has touched your life and how it has brought transformation or change. Share prayer requests and praise items and then pray. And those of you who have uh, kids, they're, you know, another 20 minutes, they're going to be in with the kids downstairs so you don't have to rush off like that. So just turn right to the people you're talking to and have this conversation. God bless you.